Okay, let's, um, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord David said, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Lord, this is what we want to do this morning. We want to tell of all your wonders, the wonders of redemption, that you, Lord Jesus, would lay aside your privileges to come and to die on the cross for those who hated you. Lord, we need to understand more fully the glory of that and how it should impact our lives. So we commit this hour to you and we ask that that uh, you would be glorified and that you would be lifted up. Now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, good morning. I closed my eyes. I think we picked up a few people. That's good. Um, anyone need a handout? There should be plenty of handouts. Okay. Okay, we're talking this morning, as we have in the last weeks, about redemption. And I don't think we've actually focused on the um, definition that we're using here. It's on your sheet. It says, redemption is a comprehensive term employed in theology with reference to the special intervention of God in the salvation of man. The special innovation of God on our behalf Christ left heaven and he came to earth to suffer and bled and died, as you know, to save the people who hated him the most. I'm not sure that I would do that. How about you? Talking about redemption accomplished and applied. Last year, we talked about redemption accomplished. The left-hand column in your hand out there. Of what God did in order to redeem us. You know, God could have snapped his fingers and it would have all been over. But he chose a specific path to follow. And I can't help but believe that one of his main reasons for doing that was so that we could see the price that he was paying in order to redeem us. This year we're starting on the application of that. You know, we can study theology and we can we can agree on these things, but there comes a time when we need to say, well, how does that affect me? Okay, That's what we're trying to do this year. Look at how this redemption is applied to our lives. Last week, week before last, excuse me, uh, we looked at, at election and predestination, that for, the, that before, uh, for time, God chose those who he would pour out his love on. Now, this week, we're going to talk about a little bit more. Um, we're, going to, we're going to talk about his call of us, both the external and the internal call. And we need to understand what these are and what's, what's involved in them. When, once God saves us, he starts us on a lifelong personal growth and development path. His goal for every believer is to us is in Romans 8, 29. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conform to the image of his son. 
let alone how to talk to someone. Regardless of what your life looks like, as far as career, as far as family groupings, anything, God's number one priority for you and for me is to conform us to the image of his son. If your child comes to you and says, Mom or Daddy, what, what does God want with my life? Or maybe, maybe you're asking yourself that, you know. Well, the priority is becoming Christ-like. Everything else will fall into place. So that is his priority for us. We have a little diagram there that when God's plan becomes my path, and that's from Psalm 8611, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. That has to be the, 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 the focus of our life, to, to understand his word, understand the path that he's put before us. When, our, when God's plan becomes our path, he will accomplish all his goodwill for me. Psalm 138.8, the Lord has accomplished what concerns me. You know, I read that verse probably over and over for, for many years, and I never stopped to realize what it really says. But you know, when we get to heaven, if we're following the Lord, if we're committed to his will, and we're open to him, when we get to heaven, he will have accomplished everything that he wants in our lives. There won't be anything of saying, well, sorry, you missed it here, here, and here, you know. That's what the Catholics say. You've got to go back to purgatory to get it right. But no, God will perform. He will accomplish everything. So when we stand before the Father in that day, he will be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Last time we talked about God's specific order of salvation. We talked about election. And this time we're going to talk about God's calling both internal and external. I've already said that. Okay. We talked last week about the order of salvation. The auto salutus. I think that's Latin. What is that? Is that Latin? That's the extent of my Latin, so you'll be impressed, okay? Because I have nothing else to add to that. All right, Romans 8, 28 through 30. He says, this is now we're talking about God's order. God has a, a, an order for our lives as he develops us. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now here's the, what is called the golden chain of redemption. For whom, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The golden chain of redemption, one link after the other, God puts together to do his work in us. These verses should give us a, a real sense of security in our salvation. I'm going to reread those few verses and I'm going to make some changes in them, okay? Now, if you've been in my 101 class, you know what's coming, so just bear with me. 
Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And of those he predestined, he called 75%. And those whom he called, he justified 50%. And of those whom he justified, he glorified 10%. So the 10% finally ended up in glory. That's not what the verse says. <laughs> it's kind of stupid, but it makes a point. Once we are called, truly called of God, we are secure to the very end. Okay? Paul says, check your salvation to make, to make it be assured. But once we know that we have our salvation, that God has saved us, we can be assured that uh, he will bring us, take us all the way. Spurgeon said it in this way. He says, as many as God has chosen, as many as Christ has redeemed, as many as the Spirit has called, as many as believe in Jesus shall safely cross the dividing seas. That's security. God keeps us secure. We're going to look at two callings, for lack of a better word, this morning. The first is the external call. I'm sure I'm going to get tongue-tied between all these inter interior, exterior, and all that. So bear with me. The eternal, external call, this calling is often referred to as the external call, a general call, or the gospel call. It refers to the verbal proclamation of the gospel by which sinners are called to turn from their sin and to trust in salvation. Now the internal call is given only to those to the elect and will always bring us to salvation. We'll put that aside for a minute and we'll come back to it. By contrast, the external call is given to all people without distinction and is often rejected. This is a call that you see that it goes to all the earth, so to speak. Often these, this comes by way of television. Oh, it's, it's, it's not God's effectual call, but it's the call that goes out to all people. And it has a very specific purpose. Because in that external call are the elements that God uses in issuing the internal, the, uh, the internal call. Well, let's, let's just look at the, um, the external call. I'm going to try this without the lady all brief on me. All right, then we'll look at the necessity of the external call. The ingredients, excuse me, the unregenerate man can learn some of the things about God from what he sees in nature. Enough to hold him accountable to God, however, he must hear and respond to the full gospel message to be saved. Anyone can see God's handiwork, God's power, God's love, God's judgment, all in the world. But that in itself is not enough to save him. He has to have the specific uh, calling of God. For salvation to come to anyone, and this is John MacArthur's definition, so it's going to be wordy, you understand. For, for salvation to come to anyone, the gospel message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection 
of the Son of God, sent from heaven to save sinners by grace, through faith, apart from works, must be proclaimed to them. The full gospel message needs to be proclaimed. Okay. Again, I want to mention that the necessity too of the, of the external call is the fact that in that call is the Sort of what the um, with the information, for lack of a better term, that God will use to, to issue that eternal call, the internal call. All right, the elements of the external call. What what do these people need to see? What what do we need to make sure is in the uh, is part of the external call? First off, there's got to be God's holiness. We must understand that we. As sinners are, are, are accountable to a holy God. So God's holiness, uh, Revelation 4, 8 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then Matthew 5, 48, You are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man must know that God is holy, and that we are accountable to him. Next, we must know about man's sinfulness. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I think that must be a key verse to um, help us understand the extent of, of, uh, of our sinfulness. You know, even if we try to keep ourselves clean as we can, we have a love for the world, the things of the world, the ways of the world that we have to constantly watch out for. Let me quote something from Spurgeon. It says, those who love the Lord must hate evil. It says, you have good reason to hate evil. Only consider what harm it has already wrought, wrought to you. Oh, what a world of mischief sin has brought into your heart. Sin blinded you to what, to that which you could not, so that you could not see the beauty of the Savior. It made you deaf so that you could not hear the Redeemer's tender invitations. Sin turned your feet into the way of death and poured poison into the very fountain of your being. It, it tainted your heart. It made it deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Oh, what a creature you were when sin had done its uttermost with you. Before divine grace intervened, you were an heir of wrath, even as others. You did not follow the crowd. You did follow the crowd into wrongdoing. And then he goes on to, to, to tell us about the um, painting a picture of what we were before. Christ saved us. But so we, we, I think we don't realize how, how sin just, just takes hold of us and it just works in every part of our being, our thoughts, our actions, our words. Man is truly sinful. In, um, in Jeremiah, and then some in Ezekiel, the Lord shows us some of the um, characteristics of a Lord person, lost person. 
In Jeremiah 16, he says, he is spiritually deaf. He said, behold, the ears are their ears are closed and they cannot hear. Listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. The word of God is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. I can certainly remember before I was saved how foolish I thought the word of the Lord was. And then his will, uh, and his, man's will and affections are entirely disordered says the heart is more deceitful than all else and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Sin has done a work on us unless we come to the Lord for salvation. And even then we have to constantly live with our eyes open as to what it's doing. But even back in Ezekiel, God promised relief for us. He said, Man is devoid of a spiritual life in Ezekiel 11. But then he says, I will give them one heart and I will put, my, put uh, a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my commandments to do them. Then I will be a people to them and they, and they will be a people to me and I shall be their God. You know, glorious promises that the Lord makes for our salvation. And then finally, he, he has a heart of stone. It's cold and unresponsive. And God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause, cause you to work, walk in my statutes. You will be careful to observe all of my ordinances. You know, all along the way, God knew, understood our sinfulness. And he knew what he was going to have to do to redeem us from that. And he makes promises all through the Old Testament, even as we see here, all through the Old Testament, he brings promises of redemption to his people. And we need to understand the work of Christ in redemption. I didn't realize how this verse, First Peter 2.24, broke down until this week in studying it. But it's just like this little, he says, first off, he says, he himself, talking about Christ. Next, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. Bunch of theology in that one verse, huh? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, something that we're all familiar with. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Great promise. Next, we have to, in a, in a, in a call, we have to uh, 
call for the sinner to repent and to believe. There has to be that calling. Matthew 11, 28 and 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What a, what a verse. For those who are, who are lost and for separate, for those of us who are saved, are tremendous promises from the, from the hand of God. And then the sinner also needs to hear that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, then we also have to tell the, the lost person, share with them the promises of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call on you. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. All of these are things that we have to have to be in this external call. We have to be forthright with people about sin and what the, what price they are paying for the sin in their lives. But we also have to let them know that there's hope. That there is a Savior who is willing to forgive sins. Then the character, lastly, the character of the external call. Um, it's a general or universal call. We've mentioned that. This is the good news of repentance and faith for the forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed to all people without distinction. God's plan includes spreading the word over. It's not our responsibility who responds and who doesn't, but to get that word out so that people can hear. And if the Spirit decides to, to intercede with that, then they can be saved. And it's a sincere and bona fide offer. If anyone repents in trusting Christ, God will forgive and save him. However, such repentance and faith are impossible for the natural man, apart from the regenerating grace of God, of grace no man will ever repent and save. And yet, even though it's our responsibility to get it out and then leave it to God as to who, who he draws to himself, First Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In and of itself, the external call is not efficacious. It says, For by the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And God does not give saving grace and saving faith to everyone. We talked about that last week. But it is important to put the word out anyway. The purpose of the call is a, it is, it is a means by which God issues the internal effectual call of regeneration. And the external call, as we saw, all of the elements of salvation, of the gospel, are included. 
It's our responsibility to get those out to everybody. But unless they are received by faith, received with the grace of God, they won't be, the, the people won't, can't respond to them. They won't be saved. But the people that God has ordained to salvation, when they have these, this calling, they will respond and they will have all the information that they need. That makes sense. So the external call is extremely important. All right, let's look at the internal call. The internal call is also regeneration. In that calling, God elects to draw his people to himself for salvation. The, the definition we're using on regeneration says it speaks of one, number one, a cleansing from sin, and the number two, creation of a new spiritual life. It is a divine impartation of, its, of eternal spiritual life in the believer. When that effectual call goes out and the Holy Spirit works in the life of that uh, unbeliever, then a new Christian is born. He's, he has the, the, the word of God has gone forth. The plan of salvation has gone forth. The Holy Spirit allows that person to receive it, understand it, and he, there's a work of re regeneration in the life of that person. Acts 3, 5, and 6 says, He saved us not on the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration. See, in that definition of regeneration, we said, first off, it cleanses from sin. It's by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's the creation of the new spiritual life, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So we're saved not according to deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of his Holy Spirit. Other aspects of the gospel require that believers take an active part. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There are times that God wants us to work with him, he requires our input, our part. But in conversion, well, in conversion, repentance, and faith are gifts of God, and they are, and, uh, but we are required to exercise them, to exercise faith, to exercise repentance. But God grants faith and does not believe. God grants faith, but does not, but does not believe the gospel for us. In sanctification, we have an active part as participants, and, and we must avail ourselves to the means of grace in sanctification. So there are, are times when God wants us to be involved. He expects us to be involved. He equips us to be involved. But when it comes to um, our salvation, then it, our regeneration is totally a work of God. The regeneration God 
in regeneration, God unites the external call of the gospel preaching with his sovereign, effectual call into life. Okay? He unites the external call, which we talked about earlier, in its different aspects. He unites that uh, with his sovereign, effectual calling, grace, and a new life is, is, is um, called into existence. He says, let there be light, and it instantaneously, instantaneously bursts in us the light of eternal spiritual effectual life where there had not been. When we take the gospel, even through the external call, we share the gospel, God meets that person with spiritual discernment, with spiritual life, and a new life is born. God does all of the work. We do nothing other than offering the gospel, sharing the gospel. There's a, a definition for God's call that I ran across years ago. I don't know who, who came up with it. It really helps me to understand God's call is the activation in time of the election of eternity past. In, in the past, God elected who he would save and who he would not. God's the only one who knows that. Okay? God gives us physical life. We're going along fat, dumb, and happy and doing our thing, and all of a sudden God intervenes in our life, and he, he, he said, this is the time, and he, he puts his finger on us, and uh, he calls us to eternal life. Okay. So it's, it's, when he does call us, it's really the, it's the activation of what he's done eternity past. Okay. Sinners stand in need of sovereign, effectual, uh, Efficacious. I told you I was going to have trouble with these. Um, so understand and need a sovereign efficacious call, inherently powerful to overcome the effects of depravity and to bring them to repentance and saving faith. But only Christ can do it. Only He can do it. He doesn't need our help. This next little block, top of page five. This is, to me, this is the most important thing we've got to say today. Kind of wraps up some of what we've been talking about. John MacArthur again, he says, in the exercise, and he's talking about God's saving sinner. He says, in the exercise of his sovereign pleasure, he issues an effectual call in the heart of his elect. He powerfully summons the sinner out of his spiritual death and blindness, and by virtue of the creative power of his word, he imparts a new spiritual life to him, giving him a new heart along with eyes to see and ears to hear, and thus enabling him to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. God gives us 
He calls us out of darkness into light. And he says here that he uses his creative power of his word. That's we're born again through the living and abiding word of God. He imparts new spiritual life, a new heart, new eyes to see, new ears to hear, and enables him to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. He effectually calls people out of darkness and into his marvelous light to himself, into fellowship with his son, so they have so they belong to Christ and into his own kingdom and glory. This is divine act of regeneration or the new birth. Spurgeon says here on this, he says, if he has called you, talking about the security that comes with this call, he says, if he has called you, nothing can divide you from his love. Distress cannot ever sever the bond. The fire of persecution cannot burn the link. The hammer of hell cannot break the chain. You are secure. That voice which called you at first shall call you again from earth to heaven. From earth's dark, dark gloom to immortal immortality's unuttered splendors. Rest assured, the heart of him who has justified you beats with infinite love toward you. You shall soon, you shall soon be the glorified, with the glorified. Where your, where your portion is, you are only waiting here for preparation for an inheritance that is, and that done, the wings of angels will waft you far away to the, to the mountains of peace and joy and blessedness. When we're called, when God claim, claims us for his own, nothing can take us away from him. We're as secure as we can be. We ought to be thankful for that. We can be uh, Be secure in that. Out of the effectual call, seven aspects that I want us to see. And again, this is security for us. First off, and, and this out of the paragraph that MacArthur wrote there, he said he exercises his sovereign pleasure. It gives God pleasure to redeem us. It gives God pleasure to come into our lives and make something beautiful out of something that was a wreck. It summons sinners out of spiritual death and blindness. I can remember a certain time in my life after I was saved, I made the comment, well, now I can see things as they really are. And I don't remember the context. But I could see things, I could see life in ways that I never was able to see them before. He, he summons us out of death and spiritual, out of spiritual death and blindness. 
We are the object of God's creative power through his word. We're saved by the word of God. And he uses that word in the power of his spirit to change us and to mold us. And we need as, as believers to, to develop a, a love for God's word by being in it and experiencing its power and, and what changes he wants to work in our lives through that. It imparts a new spiritual life into the new believer. It gives a new heart, new eyes to see and ears to hear. And it enables him to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. That heart that was so hardened and so indifferent to Christ and his ways and his word, all of a sudden now you can't get enough of him. You want to you want to be around his people. You want to read his word. You want to see him make changes in your life that you didn't think were possible. And it's and he does that. He says the spirit removes the sinner's heart of stone and implants a heart of flesh capable of perceiving and loving spiritual truth. The affections are renewed after the likeness of Christ so that the man hates sin, loves righteousness, thirsts for God, whom he previously had abhorred, and loves and rejoices in the Christ he once regarded as foolish. That's a picture of the new man. He hates sin, he loves righteousness, he thirsts for God, he loves the Christ that he once regarded as foolish. The sinner's will is finally free from the bondage of sin into the liberty of righteousness. You know, I know you join with me in, in rejoicing in what God has done in our lives and, and the fact that he's taken the things that that I once thought were foolish, that I once hated, I saw no value in. And today, those things are the most important things to me. Yeah. And only God can do that. But he's willing to do it if we'll let him. It is in the irresistible grace of regeneration that God overcomes man's natural resistance to the gospel by shining light into his heart and opening his eyes to the glory of Jesus. We thank him for that. Lord, thank you for what you have shown us today. Lord, help us to realize that you have made the change in our lives, not we ourselves. Well, once we thought you foolish, well, once we thought The world had the, uh, the answers for us. Lord, now we, we repent of that and we acknowledge that it's by you that we have uh, forgiveness of sins. It's by you that we have eternal life. It's by you that we have new life, new priorities. 
And we thank you for that. Praise your name now for all that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray.